Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. Now, nonstop sports talk continues with news and analysis from the lead writer of 1045thezone.com. Not the hero we deserved, but the hero we needed. This is the Big Six. It's going to be huge. With your host, Jason Martin. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Straight up 6 o'clock by my watch means it's time for the one and only Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Glad to have you with us here on a Friday, a cold Friday in the Music City. I'm Jason Martin. As always, I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. You can follow me there, 615-737-1045 is how to get in touch with this program. I am blessed beyond measure. I hope you recognize that you are as well. So, sometimes there are A stories. There are marquee stories that make all the sense in the world and that you know you're going to lead off with this and maybe you're not even going to have to talk about anything else because, holy cow, is this a big-time story. You get the NFL overtime one day this week. That ends up covering an hour. But the big story, obviously, the no-call in the Saints-Rams game that had everyone up in arms and for some reason still has everybody up in arms Today, there's more on that story. We may get to that before the end of this hour. But when there's not that just guaranteed story, the next best thing is having a bunch of stories where there are things to say. And that's the case today. We may not have that just blockbuster, but we've got a bunch of things we can talk about. And here in the Music City, there are a couple of stories still kind of going around. One that we found out about today one that we've known about for a few days. And I want to start with that one that we've known about for a few days, which is Vanderbilt, Tennessee, the other night at Memorial Gymnasium. An excellent, excellent basketball game. Commodore played their guts out. Everybody that reps Vandy should be proud of that effort. They lose the game 88-83. to Grant Williams goes for 43-8, and one of the great performances you'll ever see. A Tennessee player or anybody in college basketball put forth, especially 23 of 23 free throws. Only one guy, Oklahoma State player, had 24 of 24 in the history of Division One. So that's how close Grant Williams to make was to making ultimate history. But a tremendous game. And Grant Williams is at the center of, well, it's not controversy he created, but it, he just happened to be the guy on the other end of this. And man, oh man, are people upset. People are mad. People are trying to get answers, and I think that it depends on whether or not you're a Vanderbilt fan or a Tennessee fan as to where you fall on this. Considering I am neither, I think maybe I'm objective here. Bryce Drew, the head coach of Vanderbilt, did a wonderful job the other night coaching his team. His schemes worked. The way he attacked the Vols' defense, especially when he recognized that they were playing soft, worked very well. Saban Lee was great. We saw guys all night long just making plays, playing hard, playing like this was the last game they were ever going to play, playing like the national championship was on the line. 
And, you know, when you get a chance to beat the number one team and you're having a 9-8 and eight season at the time and you're 0-5, you're going to go all out. I get that. Like, Duke, the Dukes and Kentuckys and the great teams, the Villanovas, they get everybody's best shot every night. Tennessee at number one, all of a sudden there's a target there that may not have been there before. Nationally, they're still not getting the respect I believe that they deserve for how good a basketball team they are. But to me, that's good if you're a Tennessee fan. Yeah, go ahead and count them out. Don't pay attention to what they're doing. Continue to talk about Zion Williamson. Continue to talk about other folks. And Tennessee just keeps on winning basketball games. It's been over 80 years since they've had as many wins as they've had in a row with 13 now after beating Vanderbilt. But Vanderbilt gave them all they wanted. And then after the game, Bryce Drew has a long, you say long just in terms of two coaches meeting and the handshake and the conversation is longer than a lot. There are a lot of those just kind of almost fist pound handshakes, if you want to call it that, where they don't really talk all that much and they just kind of keep on walking. It's like coasting through a stop sign, if you know what I'm talking about. Like you're going to take the right turn, but you're supposed to come to a complete stop, but you kind of coast. You go like two or three miles an hour, but you never really totally stop. They stopped, and they were talking. Rick Barnes and Bryce Drew were having a conversation. They finish up the conversation, and Grant Williams is trying to shake Bryce Drew's hand, and Bryce Drew gave him the cold shoulder. No, he didn't. I guess I just gave away the answer. I don't think he did that at all. I don't think this was classless. I don't think that he was acting like a petulant child, as I've seen some people mention. I saw people calling Bryce Drew a punk for this move. Have you listened to Bryce Drew? Have you seen how he has conducted himself since he's been the head coach? Do you really think he was snubbing Grant Williams, even if he was really hurt and just brought down because of the loss? I didn't see that. I saw Grant Williams, and I don't know that Bryce Drew did. Bryce Drew didn't look into his eyes throw the middle finger, and keep moving. But boy, is the conspiracy theory strong with this one, folks. And as I'm watching it play out, still on social media, media personalities on both sides of this issue, trying to make their point, arguing their side, the only thing that I could think of, and you're going to appreciate this, the only thing I could think of is this. Wow, what a story. Unfortunately, the immutable laws of physics contradict the whole premise of your account. Allow me to reconstruct this, if I may, for Miss Bennis, as I've heard this story a number of times. Newman, Kramer, if you'll indulge me. According to your story, Hernandez passes you and starts walking up the ramp. Mm -hmm. Then you say you were struck on the right temple. The spit then proceeds to ricochet off the temple, striking Newman between the third and the fourth rib. The spit then came off the rib, made a right turn, hitting Newman in the right wrist, causing him to drop his baseball cap. The spit then splashed off the wrist, pauses in midair, mind you, makes a left turn, and lands on Newman's left thigh. That is one magic loogie. Seriously, that's what this felt like, and it felt like it needed a laugh track underneath it as well. Look, maybe I'm wrong. I'm not Bryce Drew, so I didn't I wasn't the one who did it. So I can only base it on what I saw. 
I saw a scenario where Bryce Drew was in the middle of chaos after a game. He was doing what coaches do after the game. Grant Williams kind of was looking towards him, tried to get to him. Bryce Drew never really looked. So he would have had to have seen this after out of like peripheral vision, basically. And there was no snub here. If you want to see a snub, go back and look at what Steve Ballmer got from Blake Griffin when the Clippers played the Pistons a few weeks ago. And Ballmer clearly wanted to shake Griffin's hand, and Griffin sprinted past him without making eye contact after already making eye contact. If you want to see a snub, watch what Isaiah Thomas did with the Pistons back in the day when they lost to the Bulls, and he just kind of careened his way. He did that kind of weird sort of crab walk. You've seen it. You see it from behind. You see Isaiah Thomas walking towards the tunnel in that building with the back of his jersey there, and I think he might actually have his warm-up jacket on, and he's sort of swaying back and forth, almost like he's inventing a dance, trying to avoid shaking hands. If you want to see a snub, look at Tom Brady a few times when he's lost games and refused to shake hands with opposing quarterbacks and found ways off the field. This was not a snub. I just don't believe, I don't buy it. But I guess it's fun to talk about. I don't know. It was an 88 to 83 basketball game. And Vander, I said yesterday in the final segment here on the Big Six, and if you missed that, you can always subscribe to the podcast and get all the shows delivered to you as soon as they end and get the full archive dating back to when we started this shebang back in July. But I told you that I had gotten a message during the first commercial break on this show, a DM from someone who weeks ago said that they unfollowed me and that I had lost a listener because I dared to call Marcus Mariota average. And as such, no Titans fan would ever listen to me again. And then he told me he's unfollowing me. And then he told me he's not going to listen anymore. And then last night, he commented on something I said on the air. So good job not listening and not following. But he said, your UT bias is so strong. He actually called it unreal and said, show some respect for Vandy. Nobody gets all up in their feelings more than Vanderbilt fans. All I said was they should be proud of that effort. They played their hearts out. UT had to do everything in the world to get that job done. I also said the flagrant foul call was a bad one. I said the hook and hold to me was two guys jockeying for position, and I did not want to see something go down there for either side. But I also said Bryce Drew was very good in that game. I praised their players. I praised the atmosphere. Talked about what a great sporting event it was. But I guess because I did not call the University of Tennessee basketball program Mephistopheles and a bunch of minor demons, that I didn't do enough. But Tennessee fans, after the fact, are really trying to make something out of this Bryce Drew story. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you something. That's a bad look. You won the game. You're going to play again in Knoxville at TBA here in just a few more weeks. You won the game. You don't need to do this. There's no need to go down this road. And I'm like I said, I'm seeing people in the media that are just beside themselves over this, using terminology and adjectives and descriptors that are just a little bit out of bounds because even if it was a minor snub, I, I can't even go there. It's not a snub. 
the Mr. Rogers documentary not being nominated for Best Documentary Feature at the Academy Awards, that is a snub. Bryce Drew just kind of moving past Grant Williams, not trying to get away from him. Just I don't think he saw him. I've seen the video. Grant Williams kind of puts, you know, there's like a, Grant Williams maybe puts a hand on him, but he's already moving, and his eyes never really locked with Grant Williams. I don't think he was trying to get away from Grant Williams. All he did was praise Grant Williams in the postgame. This was an emotional game between two teams in state, but let's not make a story when there's not one. Let's not spend a bunch of social media just energy putting things out there in the ether and recklessly speculating about what one coach did. Now, if you want to talk about something interesting, you can talk about Penny Hardaway in that situation. That one was worth talking about. And whether or not Penny Hardaway knew what he was doing, didn't believe what he was saying, which is what I've had some people tell me, and that he was basically doing a brilliant recruiting move by getting Memphis's name out there and going after the biggest dog in the yard in the state of Tennessee, which is, of course, University of Tennessee-Knoxville. I just think there's no story here even though I just got 12 minutes of content out of it. What do you think? Tweet me at jmartzone. Let me know. Or DM me and tell me you're not going to listen to me again. And then I will uh, look forward to hearing from you on Monday when you're still not listening to me again. Coming up next, Ben Roethlisberger and an extension in Pittsburgh. Is that a good idea? We'll talk about that and tons more. Also coming up, Cody Parkey. He may not have kicked himself out of a job. He may have, but he may have definitely talked himself out of one in Chicago. There is a lot to come tonight. Stick with us. Big Six, ending your week here on 104.5 The Zone. Welcome back here on a Friday in Music City. Chilly Friday to say the least. This is the Big Six finishing up your week here on 104.5 The Zone. I'm Jason Martin, your host. I'm the editor-in-chief over at the Big Six blog. That's 1045thezone.com slash Big Six blog. On Twitter, at jmartzone. I'm going to talk about these quarterbacks and the Roethlisberger situation here in a second. But came out today, Rams cornerback Nickel Roby Coleman. Fined $26,739 by the NFL for the helmet-to-helmet hit on Tommy Lee Lewis that wasn't flagged during the NFC Championship game. And also, Sean Payton reached out to the league wanting to find out how they're going to publicly handle, this is from ESPN.com, the controversial ending to regulation. Spoke to Al Riveron. Al Riveron, I believe, called him on Sunday and said, we got this thing wrong. And he talked to the vice president of football operations for the NFL, Troy Vincent. And then Roger Goodell also contacted the competition committee chairman, Rich McKay. And so they find him for the no call, but did not admit the PI, even though they've already admitted the PI. People are still talking about this. People are still mad about this. People still want to see this game replay. There is someone on the floor of Congress today that spent time, I don't know if it was filibuster or otherwise, trying to just lament what happened and saying it was egregious and the NFL needs to take public responsibility and there are still people wanting a public statement. And I said yesterday, why on earth, if I'm Roger Goodell, would I come out and actually publicly address this? First off, I want it to go away. Second off, nothing I say is going to make it better. I'm going to say, yeah, we blew it. 
And then what? I'm going to do the shrug emoji, the human version, because we're not replaying the game, guys. We're moving on. Rams, Patriots is happening next Sunday in Atlanta. So the Saints fans can continue to be upset, and the Saints people can be upset, and the people that lost money in gambling can continue to be upset. Nothing's going to change. There is not a single thing good that could come from some kind of press availability where Roger Goodell has to address this. It's already been addressed. We knew that we know they messed it up. We know they blew it. Right now you just got to stay quiet. People may think that he owes them something. He doesn't owe them anything. I've seen I saw a national media personality yesterday on ESPN talking about how arrogant the league is for not commenting on this. Arrogant. They're just being smart. Because they know what we know. We all have eyes. We all saw the football game. We all saw the play. We saw how bad it was. So did they. There's nothing they can say about it that's going to make you feel better because we already know that they know that the call was bad or the no call was totally blown. So you find this guy, 26 grand, and some people say that makes it worse. Nothing was going to make it better. So I don't know what to tell you at this point. Move on. And speaking of moving on, Rooney of the Steelers has come out and said, the owner of the Steelers has come out and said that they really want to get an extension done with Ben Roethlisberger. Now, Ben Roethlisberger, who is 36, maybe 37, I think he's still 36 years old. And if you saw the photo that came out during the offseason where he's got like ice all over his knees, ice on his shoulders, he's a warrior, but he's been battered and beaten, and he's played in this league for a long time, and I would imagine he has never been healthy, at least not in the last, not this decade he hasn't been healthy. I always roll my eyes because every time he goes out of a game, I'm just waiting for him to walk back into it and them to talk about how tough he is. It's kind of become, it's like Paul Pierce when he left the floor during that playoffs game and then came back in the fourth quarter and they're saying this is Willis Reed all over again. He got out of a wheelchair to come do this. Ben Roethlisberger is tough as nails, but we don't even need the narrative anymore. When he gets hurt, he's probably coming back in, right? But at 36 years old, with a fractured Steelers team, eventually you've got to move on. Doesn't appear like Josh Dobbs is the answer. Sorry to say that to Tennessee fans and to every. I mean, Josh Dobbs is a great dude. Wonderful human being that is going to succeed in whatever it is that he's going to do next. But it looks like the NFL is not the long-term future for Josh Dobbs. I think there's a larger question to be asked here. And I've seen a couple of debates about this this week raging in various areas about these older quarterbacks and whether or not you should be paying them big money and whether or not you should be paying any quarterback that's sort of in the middle of the road big money. Now, in the case of Roethlisberger, he's not in the middle of the road, although he's going to give you some great games and he's going to give you a couple that are just bafflingly terrible at this stage in his career. It hasn't always been that way but for the last five or six years, he's going to give you that five interception game and then come out and say, maybe I should retire. Maybe I've lost it. But you've got a lot of guys now that are north of 30. Obviously, Breeze is 40. Tom Brady is 41. Rodgers is basically 35. Matt Ryan's 33. Rivers is 36. Flacco is nearing 35. Fitzpatrick is 35. Eli Manning's 38. Josh McCown's almost 40 years old. A lot of guys in this league right now that are getting up in age. And one thing about quarterbacks that we have seen historically is once it's time for that drop-off to come, usually there's not a lot of warning. 
and the fall is precipitous and dramatic. Brett Favre went from what he was doing in Minnesota to just completely not being able to play football anymore. I'm a Denver Broncos fan, and I saw Peyton Manning deteriorate finally before my eyes as Brock Osweiler came in and ended up getting a lot of money because of just a few starts that he made. And the Super Bowl that Denver won that year had very little to do with the offense and had everything to do with that defense and what they were able to do to Cam Newton and the Carolina Panthers. And there are many examples. And now you're seeing the Giants. Are they going to pay Eli Manning a little bit more money to keep him around? And then you've got the conundrum of paying the mediocre quarterbacks. And it appears that maybe that's not something you should do anymore. I, I heard Robert Mays and Kevin Clark debating whether or not Dak Prescott is a quarterback that if he were with Sean McVay, could he win a Super Bowl? And then that question was, who's the worst quarterback in the NFL that would be in the Super Bowl right now with Sean McVay? And you started to go through the list. Not that Jared Goff's bad. looks like Jared Goff is pretty good, and he can definitely make some throws. But he benefits from Sean McVay's scheme. There's no question about that because we didn't see that Jared Goff before McVay got there. And Dak Prescott, even though I think he is maybe he's above average, but I would stop short of calling him a top like eight to ten quarterback in the league right now. Maybe he can get there, but I see too many things in his game that bother me, even though I think he's a winner in the same mold as a Deshaun Watson or a Russell Wilson or one of those kind of guys that just, you want that guy playing for you when the chips are down because he's going to give you absolutely everything that he's got. You know what? I'd put Mariota in that list as well. Injuries and inconsistencies at times, but you'd want to go to war with Mariota provided he could get on the field because we've seen what he is willing to do to get that extra yard, to get that extra first down, to get those points and to try and win those games. Nobody, well, a few people did, erroneously, who shouldn't have, questioning Marcus Mariota's heart. No one should be questioning his heart. I don't think anybody should question Dak's heart or a lot of these guys. But I think we are coming to the end of the era where we're paying quarterbacks like Andy Dalton to stick around in Cincinnati. There are a lot of young guys coming into the league. We're about to have months of talk about Kyler Murray and where he's going to go. Is he going to go number one overall? Is he going to go to the Raiders, to John Gruden, who's now saying all sorts of nice things about him? What are we going to see at the combine when they actually measure him? And we know for sure Oklahoma's coaches came out and said, look, we measured him before the season. He's he's 5'9 and three quarters. That's awfully short. Doug Flutie says Kyler Murray's going to be a stud. What else would Doug Flutie say, honestly? We're seeing shorter quarterbacks get it done mobile quarterbacks getting it done, and people are comparing Kyler Murray to an elite NFL running back with a good arm. But you're looking at Baker Mayfield, bright future in Cleveland. Sam Darnold, I think bright future with the Jets. We'll see what Kingsbury can get out of Josh Rosen, but I like Josh Rosen. Lamar Jackson, I I don't know. Josh Allen, I certainly don't know. Those two guys can run the ball. It's yet to be determined if they can pass it consistently. They can make plays because anybody in the NFL that plays quarterback can make a throw. When you see a throw, that doesn't mean go to Twitter and say, yeah, he can't throw because he made one throw in a game for 40 yards or one throw in a game for 25 yards. That doesn't mean he can throw. That means he is an NFL quarterback, and anybody that's played long enough to get that opportunity can probably make a throw or two. We live in a hyperbolic media environment and fan environment. 
where everything that happens means that global warming is happening or global warming is not happening. That's not how it works. Life should exist in the middle somewhere inside of nuance. And nuance is a dirty word when it comes to Twitter, is a dirty word when it comes to Facebook, is a dirty word when it comes to basically anything. And certainly when you're in sports media, you're supposed to be, you know, nuance does well, but if you can make people love or hate you one way or the other, that's your route to success. Look at the Skip Bayless or the Stephen A. Smith or whoever it is that you want to put into that list. They have found a way to maximize their potential, and that is being extreme as extreme gets on every issue, often being loud or screaming or saying things to gin up controversy on Twitter. Those things are never going to change. But you have to start to wonder when you look at some of these aging quarterbacks, what are these teams going to do? The Carson Wentz story, we talked about that yesterday on the show. What are the Eagles going to do in that situation? With Nick Foles being there and being popular among the team, Carson Wentz and whatever is true or not true of this Philly voice story. And then you've got the Rams. And one point was one thing that was pointed out on the Ringer's NFL show yesterday about the Rams is that windows in the NFL close and slam shut really fast. Look at the Jags last year to the Jags this year. The Bears may be doing the exact same thing next year because do they have a quarterback or not? We don't know for sure. Goff and the Rams need to cash in now because Goff is about to cash in, as are some of the other guys that they brought in. They're not going to be able to maintain the roster that they have now. And if you want to look at the prime example, one of the best examples I've ever seen of a team where it looked like it was going to be a dynasty situation, where they made it to the finals in their sport, lost, and then never were able to duplicate it and fell completely apart and have never been the same since. Look at the Orlando Magic when they lost to the Houston Rockets, when they were swept 4-0, when the game went to overtime after Nick Anderson missed those four free throws and Kenny Smith hit the three after the timeout. Look at that team with Shaq and Penny and Horace Grant and Dennis Scott and Anderson, Brian Hill coaching, everybody was talking about how great the Orlando Magic were going to be. They never got back to the finals until once with Dwight Howard. I think it was 2009, and they lost to the L.A. Lakers that year, four games to two. And that was a wrap for them. So you look at the Rams, you say, well, the Rams are going to be the future of the NFL. Are they? We said the Philadelphia Eagles were going to be the future of the NFL. They're not in the Super Bowl this year. I do think that they are still among the upper echelon. But the way rosters and salaries are constructed, you just don't have all the freedom to continue this. Things are tough in terms of a market to be able to maintain success. So when you look at the Steelers, when are they going to turn the page with Ben Roethlisberger? You're going to give him a three-year extension and pray that he's good for three years? If I'm them, I'm starting to look at other options. I'm not saying they need to bounce Roethlisberger now. I'm saying extending him at this point, especially with Antonio Brown probably out the door, Le'Veon Bell already out the door. I don't know how long Mike Tomlin's going to be there. I don't know if I'm hitching my wagon to a 36-year-old that is banged up that constantly tries to tell everybody he's going to leave the league because he likes attention. When we come back, Cody Parkey, he's going to be out of a job. I'll tell you why. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone.
back in. Big Six rolling right along on a Friday night here on 1045 Zone. Ryan Mudd behind the glass, spinning the dials radio style for me tonight, doing a great job. I'm Jason Martin on Twitter at jmartzone. You can follow me there. This from the official Predators website. The National Hockey League announced Friday that the Nashville Predators will face off against the Dallas Stars in the 2020 Bridgestone Winter Classic. The game will take place on January 1st, 2020 at Cotton Bowl Stadium in Dallas, Texas. The first ever regular season outdoor game appearance for both Nashville and Dallas. Dallas, the ninth team to host the game, joining Boston, Buffalo, Chicago, Detroit, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, St. Louis, and Washington. Three of those cities have hosted it multiple times. This is the 12th anniversary of the Winter Classic. First one in the South, and they're taking the two Southern teams, putting them in a football stadium in Texas on January the 1st. What that tells me more than anything else is, boy, the Preds have come a long way. They have become a franchise that people want to watch, even outside of this market, and good for them. That organization has worked so hard on and off the ice to not just be competitive, to not be a team no one wants to see in the postseason, but just a, a fully class organization from the top down. And, you know, I was able to meet along with some of the other folks in the building, meet with the executive staff with the Predators a couple of days ago, a couple of mornings ago, and just listening to them talk about their plans for the future and then just kind of reminiscing a bit on how far they've come and what they've already accomplished, what they're doing, how they're making the fan experience better, all the ingenuity, all the innovation. They are on the cusp. There are so many people that are going to be following suit with what Nashville continues to do. It feels like the Predators are so ahead of the curve. I wish the game could somehow take place here, but, man, maybe you have to be there. We might all have to be there for that one. But it's going to be a lot of fun, and it's going to make New Year's just a little bit cooler with the Predators actually outdoors playing hockey. That's going to be a blast. Congratulations to them, and congratulations to the NHL for paying attention to this market and recognizing what the Predators are and how just wonderful an organization they have been for such a long time. It is impossible not to get caught up in Preds fever if you live here or if you live around this area. They just do a fantastic job. Someone that did not do a fantastic job this year is Cody Parkey. Cody Parkey of the double doink that cost the Chicago Bears the win against the Eagles. It wasn't just one kick, but that was the big one. He missed 11 kicks. That's the most of any kicker in the league. But I'm here to tell you something. I don't know that he kicked himself out of a job. Maybe he did. But I would say he talked himself out of a job. Last week on this show, I had my good friend Jeff Schwartz, who fills in with me when we uh, host for Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio and Outkick the Coverage, which airs here right before the wake-up zone in the mornings. And I said, you know what? I don't buy this. Cody Parkey is taking a bullet, and Cody Parkey is just such a stand-up guy for going out there and taking responsibility for what happened. I didn't see it that way at all. Neither did Jeff. Here's a little bit of that conversation from last week here on the Big Six. This idea that athletes do not take responsibility for their for their mistakes on the field is just a fallacy, right? More often than not, athletes do that. I would say that 90% of athletes, 95% of athletes, when make a mistake when you interview them after a game, they take the blame for it. The reason why we think the numbers the other way around and guys skirt blame is because we only hear about those because it's so common to say, you know, if I messed up a block, if I allowed a sack and, and I cost my team the game, 
you know, Jeff Schwartz takes blame, right? But if I had said, you know what, it's Eli's fault. Well, that makes more news than does Jeff Schwartz take the blame for a problem he created, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> so, look, just a tick. He also had nine points. The Bears' offense had six. Okay? Yes. So he played better than the Bears' offense. He also missed a kick. One kick in a wild card game. It wasn't a Super Bowl. It wasn't a divisional round. It wasn't a championship. It was, not, it was a wild card round. And this 100% screams for sympathy to her. No one, the, the thing about it is people were like, well, he, he took blame. No one was asking him to go on national TV and take blame. He took the blame in, the, in his locker on Sunday night. No one was, at, no one was begging him to go on national TV and, and, be, and be resilient and, and, and show a strong face in, in, in adversity. No one was asking for that because he took the blame already. And everyone had forgotten after Monday outside of Chicago. No one talked about it. We were on to the games in division around. I thought it was very self-serving. Jeff went on to say he thought that it would probably and could cost Cody Parkey his job because nobody in the league respected him. And so today, the Bears worked out five other kickers, actually six, including a guy from Tulsa, Nick Folk, Josh Gable, Ernesto Lacayo, Austin McGinnis, and Blair Walsh. So they are looking at other kickers. Now you can say, all right, he did miss 11 kicks. Maybe they should be. He missed four in a Week 10 victory over the Lions. But you listen to Matt Nagy come out and basically say, look, this is a team that takes responsibility as a team. We lose as a team. We win as a team. And he felt like this was a me moment. That sounded like the end of Cody Parkey in Chicago. As it should, he goes on the Today Show and he takes responsibility. No, he doesn't. He just wants everybody to see him taking responsibility. And it's easy to view it through that prism. And as soon as you do, there's nothing selfless about it. It is self-aggrandizing. It is propping yourself up. It is trying to gain sympathy and trying to be seen when you should not want to be seen. I mean, go back and watch Alex Gibney's documentary, Catching Hell, which was about the Steve Bartman incident. Really good. Alex Gibney is great at what he does. He did Going Clear, the Scientology documentary. He's done many other wonderful projects. I think he's got something right now, a miniseries coming out for Showtime. But Catching Hell was a 30 for 30 on Steve Bartman, a couple of hours. And you see how Steve Bartman did everything in his power to just disappear after what happened. Cody Parkey, who some were saying this was a Steve Bartman-like moment and we should all feel sorry for him. And I did feel sorry for him in the moment. He missed a 43-yard field goal. It doinked off of two uprights. And the Bears lost the game. And that's a market where they can be a little hard on you when it goes sideways. And Cody Parkey said some very nice... That night he talked about going home because his, his, his child and his wife didn't care whether or not he made the kick. Intimating there are a lot of people that do care and he's sad about what that can mean. And then he went on this tour and he started talking and he goes on the Today Show to talk about missing a kick in a wild card round football game. Please, you can't compare Cody Parkey to Steve Bartman. They are the exact opposite of one another. And now you're seeing it come home to roost. If you're not a good kicker and it appears, at least for right now, Cody Parkey isn't somebody that you would trust... And they've, you know, they've already added one guy to compete, and they're working out other guys in Chicago. But he went out and he tried to make himself a bit of a star in the worst moment in his life, as opposed to just staying quiet 
they lost the game, but people moved on. That's what Jeff was saying, and Jeff's dead right. So when I see the story that they're working out all these kickers, I think it has as much to do, if not more, with the fact that he went off the reservation and went straight up Sarah Palin Rogue for no apparent reason other than to prop himself up. I feel like it has as much to do with that as it does with 11 missed kicks during the regular season. Less is more, folks. It goes for movie times. A lot of times it goes for songs. It goes for television seasons. And yeah, it goes for just talking. Sometimes it's better to just let the moment die. Again, why do we want Roger Goodell talking right now about what happened on Sunday? I don't know. People want an explanation when they're when the explanation is human error and the referees missed it. Nothing he says is going to help. He's got this one right. He gets a lot of things wrong, but he got this one right. Cody Parkey got it wrong, and Cody Parkey is probably about to be out of a job. And I don't want to see anybody lose their job necessarily, but in the words of Chris Rock, in this case, but I understand. We'll be right back. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. Final segment of the week here on the Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. I'm Jason Martin. Thanks for joining me. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. I will be with you on Monday on this show. Then I'll be headed to Atlanta to join the guys at Radio Row. I'll be broadcasting live from the site of the Super Bowl Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Going to have a blast being down there. Maybe we'll see some of you while we're down there as well. Also, I already mentioned that this was a thing. Well, it's now definitely a thing. The Pop 6 is back. I hosted Outkick the Culture and folks that said, hey, where's your pop culture podcast? We really missed that. And so the Pop 6 is a thing. Last night we released the logo and said, hey, it's going to be here really soon. Soon means in about eight minutes. Because the first episode of the Pop 6 will drop right at 7 o'clock tonight. If you are a subscriber to the Big 6 podcast, you can search the Big 6 with Jason Martin and find it right there on Apple Podcasts or Google Play, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. It's going to update tonight. Now, we are going to have a Pop 6 feed early next week, and it'll be on its own subscription page, but we wanted to make sure everybody could hear it tonight. So those of you who are already subscribers to the Big 6, it will be delivered to you pretty shortly. And I cover True Detective tonight. I go into the Oscar nominations, the pros and cons going on there, and I talk about Glass, the third and final part of the Israel 177 trilogy that released a couple of weeks ago directed by M. Night Shyamalan. So I talked a lot about that, and I reintroduced myself, told a couple of stories. Hope you dig it. It's about an hour long, the first episode. Free, as always. And again, it'll have its own podcast feed, but those of you who are subscribers to the Big Six, first of all, thank you. I'm blessed that you have chosen me as somebody that you want to hear from, both on this radio station and outside of this radio station. And you're going to get the Pop Six tonight, and then next week we'll get you the link so that you can subscribe separately to both and have them delivered to you and consume them however you want. And Pop 6 didn't talk about this as we recorded the show last night, but from Deadline.com, Joe Inouye, also known as WWE champion Roman Reigns, has been cast in Hobbs and Shaw, the Fast and Furious spinoff top line by Jason Statham and Dwayne The Rock Johnson. The move reunites Inouye and Johnson, both college football stars, 
before becoming pro wrestlers. It was The Rock who released an Instagram photo showing it today. Back in October on Raw, on the USA Network, Roman Reigns announced he was relinquishing his championship belt, stepping back from the ring after leukemia had recurred for the second time in his life 10 years after he was originally diagnosed and got through it. And The Rock also sort of mentioned a possible return to the ring for Roman Reigns was coming. Roman said he would beat this. We certainly hope he is going to beat this. I tweeted out that I was so excited that he, that this news was out about him being in the film. Anything that dude is doing right now, I hope, is better than his wildest dreams. And our own Jonathan Hutton is going for the man of the year for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, and we all should support him. And the start date is coming up. It's not here quite yet, but obviously you should be following Hutton 104.5 anyway, and he'll have all the information there. But we got to beat this thing, folks. I don't care what it costs in terms of time. I don't know. I don't care what the investment is or what brand the investment is. We got to beat this thing. And I think eventually, hopefully we will, but we're never going to stop trying. And so I certainly am supporting my pal in this fight. And I'm supporting all of you who have lost loved ones already due to this fight or are struggling through a battle right now. I think we've all been touched by cancer in some way in our life, and I hope for the day that the world will be without it. Maybe long after we're gone, but if we can lay the groundwork and save some lives in a couple of hundred years, then that's worth it too. But great news that Roman Reigns is going to be a part of this film, that maybe he could come back to the ring at some point in the near future. It just means hopefully he's doing a little bit better because we had not heard a whole lot from Roman Reigns. Squared Circle Radio, by the way, will be live on Sunday morning. Royal Rumble is Sunday, one of the biggest shows of the year. So we will certainly be talking about that and recapping what happens in Phoenix the night before as well. So we're going to have a lot of fun this weekend. Tomorrow here on The Zone, West Virginia and Tennessee. That's going to be a ball game. Tennessee struggled in the last couple of games. They've gotten it done. West Virginia has... They're not a great team, but they're a dangerous team. And we've seen that with some of the results that have played out this year for Bob Huggins' crew. So that's going to be fascinating. Pop six hits in just a couple of minutes, and I'm very excited about it. And I'm very thankful and very blessed that they've given me the opportunity to come back out here and talk about these things. And just to to get that pop culture muscle back out there for all of you. And again, it it was you guys that, that wanted it, reached out, and made it happen. And so we're going to do the best that we can and have a lot of fun with that show. Something that maybe we'll be talking about on Monday's show. Tiger Woods has made the cut at Torrey Pines. That's a place he's basically owned life through the years. But he did not make a gigantic move up the leaderboard just in our final minute here tonight. He has really dominated this course through the years. Of course, that great win in U.S. Open over Rocco Mediate in the 18-hole playoff. I don't think we're ever going to forget that. He had some birdies, and then he had some double. He had a double bogey today on the ninth hole, which was actually the 18th for him as they were playing both sides. He has won this tournament seven times. The last time was back in 2013. Best since then, 23rd last year. The question I'm going to go ahead and set up for you right now that we may be talking about on Monday's program as we start to pivot towards the Super Bowl is in 2019 or beyond, is Tiger Woods actually going to win a major? Or have we kind of seen the best of this comeback? There are a lot of really talented young golfers out there. A lot of guys that hit it farther than Tiger does, 
hit it more straighter than he does. It's always been his short game and his putting that have gotten him through, but his putting at times has been really spotty, and that's why I'm so worried. It's not as much about him spraying the driver off the tee. It's more about him not being able to kind of get himself back and save himself on the greens the way that he used to. So hopefully, I think it's hopefully because Tiger Woods moves the needle. I heard Brent Doherty say this earlier today on 3HL. He's absolutely right. Nobody moves the needle in sports quite like Tiger Woods. Sports is better when Tiger Woods is in contention and with those galleries following him like they were last year at that tournament, one of the great scenes we've seen in sports in a long time. But Tiger's still, Tiger's in the mix. Is that good enough for you? We'll see how he plays this weekend. At least he's going to play this weekend. There are some opportunities this year for him to get the job done. But is he going to win another major? That's a question. It's a question we're probably going to be asking for a while because I said no on this very program months ago. And I really haven't backed off of that. Would love to be proven wrong, though. We'll see you on Monday. Remember, Tennessee, West Virginia, tomorrow, 2.30. Coverage begins right here on 104.5 The Zone. I'll see you Monday. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless. Say goodnight.